Hello, and welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast. On this show, we bring you interviews with leading executives at today's rapidly growing B2B tech companies. We dissect the stories, strategies, and journey of CEOs, COOs, CMOs, and more as they share their professional journey. Tune in each week for new episodes from today's leaders. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B tech companies build and run revenue-generating podcasts. We set you up with weekly interviews with your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up and have engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Learn more about launching your podcast at contentallies.com. This episode is brought to you by Ad One Zero, where we do lead to close sales execution for B2B services companies with a technology flair. If you're looking to scale your company from six figures to seven figures of revenue, talk to Ad One Zero. What's up, leaders? This is Ledge, and welcome back to another awesome episode. Today, our guest is Poet de Medici. He is the CEO and founder of Tomestic. And I have to say, it's one of the most epic names of company and guest that we've <laughs> ever had here. So we're, we're breaking new ground, talking to creators, talking to polymaths. Poet, give your introduction of yourself and the company. I know you could do it better than me. Absolutely. Yeah, we were founded in 2018 in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Tomestic is basically, it's a, it's, a, it's a service and a product where we make books come alive using augmented reality, extended reality, but we're, we're creating a medium. One of the uh, greatest, um, you know, the, the guy that they say predicted the internet, Marshall McLuhan, he said the message is in the medium. So we look at books and the significance of what books have been throughout human history. And we had to ask ourselves, I asked myself, are we doing the medium of books justice? And that's when I wanted to add a different layer of experience with extended reality and augmented reality. So much so to the point that actually Marshall McLuhan's grandson is our CXO. So that is like, you know, a one in a billion type of um, manifestation, but that says a lot about how powerful domestic is and what we're doing. That's awesome, man. And what, what was your path to this? You know, uh, being a... <laughs> Obviously, you have a creator thing going on and you've got a little Renaissance man, polymath, you know, story. <laughs> so I, I would love to dig into that because I think there's a lot of people that have uh, that founder, innovator type of background and experience and yet have trouble doing like execution and like manifestation. Like they get stuck in like idea and vision world. And, right. you know, so you're actually like manifesting this patent pending, you know, right. actual technology. So, you know, just kind of. Walk through that because there's a big space between, you know, sitting around and filling your journal with ideas and like actually executing. I think that's a great question, uh, Ledge. I think what it was for me is discovery. Like my whole life has been a discovery phase. You know how like people use discovery phase like it's a segment, but my whole life has been a discovery phase where, you know, I was 16. I started writing uh, music and going to the local mall to record it. That was the only studio that we had at the time, me and my cousin. And then um, that grew into actually me getting a record deal from Tampa, Florida and moving to Atlanta, Georgia. So you get these little kind of, you know, little wins. Like if you look at all the other founders, like uh, Elon Musk was selling his own video game as a teenager. And, and uh, one of Zuckerberg's wins was he sold 
um, basically the algorithm, the Pandora, you can say, uh, to Microsoft when he was a teenager. So they had wins before the big win. So, you know, for all the young founders out there, um, always just your little wins count as big wins because they, they, they're like foreshadows of what's to come. And I still got bigger wins to, to, to happen. Like you said, with our patent, it's pending. It, it never stops. But my journey w- went from a recording artist. I left the music industry. I had a, you know, a, an agreement with, with Universal Records, which was big at the time in 2004, when uh, we used to wear T-shirts all the way down our knees <laughs> back in the day. Um, no, and then I went to Arizona. I went to school for architecture. And that was eye-opening because now I'm looking at the world from a whole different point of view. So I'm getting my kind of Leonardo da Vinci on and I'm looking at <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, space right. and, and, you know, and and I'm like, wow, I'm a, you know, and I thought it was smart to get my real estate license while I was in architect school so I could build the houses and then sell them. I had it all mapped out. And then I ended up uh, coming back to Atlanta after I got my associates in drafting and I started my, you know, film and photography trajectory from 2012 to 17, where I was professional photographer on movie sets. So I went from music to architecture to photography and film. Then I wrote this novel, Above You, A Black Sun. It's a historical fiction written in second person point of view about a slave who was a stockman. A lot of people don't know. They don't teach us this in school. It's a subculture within a subculture about a slave who's meant to only breed. And that was a subculture of breeding when they stopped the ships from coming to Atlanta in 1808 with the transatlantic slave trade. So I thought that was interesting. I wrote a book and then my journey went from writing the book to like, how could I, how could I market this book? I had a friend introduce me to augmented reality with 19 crimes. So you should do that for your book cover. I was like, cool. I took it to one of my mentors. I mean, one of my tech friends. And he was like, man, don't just do the book cover. That's lame. I'm not going to download your app just for one, two seconds. Do the whole book. I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. Then I had a mentor who was a real estate developer. He was like, don't just do one book, do all books. Do the Holy Bible, do, do, do the Quran, do, do Harry Potter, right? Just create the system around it. And then, so I was like, oh, now we're in patent territory. And I, and I figured out how I can have a unique approach to, to creating a medium now, because there were other people who have tried it and had patents in certain ways. So I had to find my niche in the intellectual property spectrum. And I ended up doing that. And we're, we're, we're here now, you know, it's been a lot since then, but, but um, yeah, we're, we're here now for sure. Right on. Yeah. So the, the creative path and kind of drawing lines all the way to wait, you know, almost have the patience for the big idea that, that you can execute and along the way sort of, you know, just get those little wins, you know, and learn yeah. along the way. Don't yeah. think it's disposable. All your experience is valuable, you know, because if you think about the medium with AR, that's audio, visual, digital, sound, haptics, technology, holographics. So I did photography, music, that sound, I did film, I did all it all can go on my medium now. Everything that I did that I thought was, when I would listen to people, they say, you're a jack of trade of all trades and a master at none. Well, I umbrellaed all of, all of my experience into one experience. And it may not be the same for a founder out there, but always remember that 
your path, you're instinctively doing things. You don't even know why you're doing it, but it all matters when it when it's when it when the timing is right. It all matters. Steve Jobs, he took a topography class in college and he didn't even know why he did it. And he's a, responsible for creating the keyboard. Well, that's very significant that you trust your intuition and your instincts as you journey. Very Yeah, important. absolutely. And you talked about your advisors, mentors, friends with different skills. I know in my journey, you know, 13 companies later, if I've done anything well through all the things that I blew up, burned down, wasted money on, you know, had a couple of decent ideas, like that I collected people. I, I built a team that has sort of, you know, it's like uh, gleaned together and just kind of kept traveling project to project. I, I talked to a lot of founders who have that kind of story. And we we do have the the startup ethos that just sort of, you know, goes after the founder and CEO and that's who we want to talk to. And I know, and I'm sure you know, and I've had the experience that it's really the people around you, you know, that kind of give us the ability to hang on stage and, and be on podcasts and stuff. So I wonder like what, what was that experience like the, the, the people collection along the way? Woo. Ledge, man, I got chills. You asked that one. Um, <laughs> Bro, I'm I'm serious. Like people at their core, like Elon said on Joe Rogan the first time he people are good. But our hangups and our insecurities kind of color our decisions. Our people confuse lack with doubt. When you're an innovator, there's all nothing but lack. But that should propel you to fill in that empty space. But when you're when you're an innovator, if it's doubt, you've already determined it's not going to happen. Doubt is a decision and lack is an opportunity. Right. So I say that to say to answer your question, kind of like in a more curvature way that a lot of people was confusing doubt with lack. And those who kind of got the lack, they're still with me two, three years later. Those who were confusing lack, like the emptiness of something as it's just not it because they can't get out of the nowness of things not being here yet. You know, we kind of got away from that as primitive man. We knew instinctively you plant a seed, but you eat fruit from another tree because that that tree ain't going to be ready for no no time soon. We go to grocery stores and that really has changed our perception of our, our false expectations of how things usually happen. You got to stick with things. And that was the beauty that I've seen in people. Those who've stayed, you know, you get to you really get to know these people and grow with these people. And those who've left, it's a lesson that, you know, that patience is one of probably the most a sense of your calling because you can never abandon your calling. You can abandon like just you'll realize why you was into something by judging the way you left it, you know. And if you just leave it this way or leave it that way, you probably wanted the money or the status or this or that. But when you stick with something and it is true to you, not even your own mother can tell you to stop doing it because it's, it's true <laughs> to you, you know. Right, right, right. So you you talk like a Buddhist philosopher, you're a oh, thinker. Oh, man, that's the best compliment. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I read a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I wonder as uh, that is clearly, you know, your leadership style. You would be inspiring, you know, the masses and the team to come along. 
And I'm going to wonder if you don't get involved, you know, in the details and the execution and you probably don't thrive on a task list or, you know, working in some kind of a project management software with a whole bunch of details and crap there. So somebody on your team has to be the executor. How did you build that structure? Because there's no way that, that you get your you're thinking and uh, you know, you're fed out of, out of that, the way that you talk. Okay. So in the beginning for all the founders, I love what you're doing. Um, you and your partner led with helping these people um, for real. It's good. In the beginning, you know, I want all the founders to know that you're going to have to do it all on your own, like every, almost everything. Then as you start to kind of hit certain milestones, that credibility has leverage and people want to join. And, you know, people love to get paid to do what they love to do. That's almost like, how is this even possible? Because we associate income with just a chore or some type of burden. So what you're really creating for people as a founder and a, and a, and a CEO or whatever is to remember that you're really creating paradigms. So that makes you a reality distorter. All right. And you have to really be aware of that and do that deliberately. Now, do I do the coding for domestic and the machine learning algorithms so that the app is making sure that you're getting smarter and having a, 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 a quality human experience? No, but I do from an overview kind of, you know, walk through it with the team and give them the essence and our, our identity and um, the spirit. I blow I blow life into the machine, so to say. But for for sure, uh, your company will have its own identity. Um, it will kind of run you, like you're, it, it's an entity. When you you know when you create a, a corporation or a LLC, whatever it may be, it's an entity, and that's it's a reason why they call it an entity because it, if you do it right, it'll 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 outlive you, like a Coca Cola or. Sure. That's what we would even call like a going concern, right? And in fact, you don't want to make a personality driven enterprise because you may or may not be always there, right? So that's where brands come from. They don't don't make it the lead show. You make it something else because you're gonna rub off naturally because you ball guy ain't gonna be around all the time. So right, right. right. Uh, so and and how did you like literally how'd you do that? Because I, I really want to dig in like to what is the management structure that supports the visionary? Because yes. you could talk the way you talk because somebody is managing details. Like you have really figured out the seats on the bus. Like because I know you you can't sit down with a dev team yeah. and talk the way you're talking. They're gonna just glaze over. They don't get it. Like that is the the procedural engineering mind. Yeah. And the data science mind is going to be, what is he talking about? So well, somebody, I, uh, somebody's man. translating, somebody's managing. And I want to know how you built that team because more innovators, more idea people, visionaries, they need to understand how to build those teams. Okay. So you have to have, a, they're going to sniff you out if you're a fraud, right? Because I'm going to tell you like this, and I mean this. I never, ever, ever, ever told any of my coders, Saheed, you know, he's a recipient of the Bill Gates and Melinda Gates um, Foundation. He can go to college till the year 2050 if he wants to. He can get a master's, <laughs> on, master's on doctrines on doctrines. He's one of, he's our lead IT guy. He helped, he helped me design the patent as well. 
I've never told him that I know code and I never gave him that that energy like, yo, I'm in the, the, the coding culture. I always been real and let him know that I'm into the human culture. I'm into the our company. We make books come alive. So it's all about the reading experience and then retaining that knowledge. I gave him that vision. And obviously, technology is a tool to do what we want it to do. Like if you're a coder, you know that it's all about commands. So is it about the means or is it the end? So it's really the end when it comes to technology, right? Smartphones are to make things more accessible. Um, smart cars or Teslas are to make the driving experience more, more easy if it's automated or whatever. But, but the developers get so heavy into the, to the doing of the tech, of the, the hands-on, and that's what it's about for them. But they, but they need a person like me who says, no, this is about design thinking. This is about your mother. Like, what are you coding? Is your mother going to be able to use this? Because I guarantee you, she's not going to want to code it, right? If you let the developers, <laughs> if you let the developers run companies, technology would be too complex for people to really understand. Um, it was people like a Steve Jobs who really was heavy on making sure when they were creating the medium of the perfect, the, the personal computer, that it's easy and accessible for all people. That's not the mind of a Steve Wise. That's the mind of a Steve Job. And that's why that marriage made sense when people try to play one against the other. No, they are incomplete right. unless they both exist. And that's the dynamic we have at Tomestic. I never perpetrate the fraud that I'm some techie guy. I always let them know that I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a polymathic visionary guy. And I think about human design at the end of the day. And it's about that experience that your children, my children are going to have when school is defunct and the educational system is all defunct, they can always download a domestic app and have a living experience through whatever book is on our database that they want to experience more viscerally than just a regular book or a YouTube screen. They can right, have, right. They can have both. And I work a lot with services businesses. I can tell you that the success formula is very similar because you know I get to be the guy who even in sales, I get to be on calls. I get to sell. I get to talk. And I am monumentally bad at keeping a task list and getting things done from the operational standpoint. I could design a process, but don't count on me to run it again. <laughs> and behind behind the scenes for us yeah. is what would be your COO or your your operator. You know, someone that thinks that way from a focused standpoint of actually turning ideas into execution. And I think that's a huge huge message. You cannot wanna, just be, you yeah. can't be just sales. You can't be just visionary. You know, you are building a, a team. And if I've yeah. seen things fail, it's where I try to take on too much myself. Yeah, it happens. I want to shout out um, Devon Blanchard. He's, he's our enterprise architect. So he's, he's that, he's that guy that handles the management and delegates all of that. So he, Kibi, like I said, um, and who else? The whole animation team at Domestic, Annabelle, Lindy, our informations architect, um, Shovik, um, Alina, our CFO, and um, our CXO, like I told you, Andrew McClellan. So, yeah, you're right. It's, it's some beautiful, beautiful, brilliant, brilliant human beings that uh, are around me, and we've created this beautiful culture. And, I, and that's what I want to give the founders, that, 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 you know, that little nugget of, of, of wisdom. Please be very mindful how you create your culture because it's really your culture. It really is. As long as you're not doing anything illegal, your culture isn't illegal. 
Create your culture the way you want to create it. And don't let nobody tell you that this is the way corporate works. Like as long as you guys are professional and everybody is emotionally kind of fulfilled, you can create your, it can be skating. It can be coding. It can be bicycling. It can be whatever your culture is. Just have that identity because it, it, it means a lot. Yeah. How do you, how do you manage the, day-to-day grind stuff, you know, in a culture that is, is like that, you know, like there's still somebody that needs to count the beans and keep the ledgers and pay the bills and, you know, finance function, HR stuff, you know, like there's a lot of miserable things that can suck up time that are necessary, even required, you know, they're the law, you know? And so like when, I think when corporate gets a bad vibe, it's, it's that right. Like, how do you, how do you do that in a good culture where like the daily grind, business stuff still needs to get done? Well, we've adapted to the more agile kind of strategy of companies where we, you know, might outsource to Fiverr or, you know, have other things that are, you know, more mundane. But a lot right now at the stage that, you know, we're at, we've been doing a lot of building up and, you know, you never stop raising capital, but we're, 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 we're now, pitching to, um, you know, investors and so forth and so on. And, and, uh, I think that our daily, the meat and potatoes, we just wear the hats that we need to wear, but it's, it's funny. It's like, it's really a personnel thing. You got to have people that you may think doing taxes is born, but you'll be surprised that there's some people who really enjoy doing taxes. And if you're lucky enough or you're persistent enough to make sure that you got the right person now. I mean, it is what it is. I'm originally from Tampa, Florida. I'm a Bucks fan. Look at what the right person now did for the Buccaneers. You just have to have the right people, man. You really, you really do. And that's very vital. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love what you just said there because I, I was a coder, you know, before I got in the business and sales seat. And I thought of code as like, it was poetry to me. I loved writing code algorithms. I loved keeping the books. I thought bookkeeping and accounting was creative. It was artistic. Come on and outside then. I, I like how you're talking. You need to come to come to the domestic side. There you go. There you go. Well, you know, we'll try to sell some stuff together. <laughs> uh, but I, I resonate with that. And I think that maybe when you're interviewing or trying to build your team, you don't just look for somebody that says the right things. You look for somebody who appreciates the craft of delivering that particular function that you might think is awful and boring and you don't get it. And I would say the most important thing, and I think you're hitting on this is like, is that it's the communication between, it's not the boxes on the org chart, it's the lines, you know, and, and how do you communicate from the visionary mind to the engineer mind, to the financial mind, to the sales mind and the marketing people. And it's that culture is the alignment of all those things. And really, as a CEO, you need to be mindful of every single one of these people speaks a different language. And business is the Tower of Babel. And <laughs> it's your job. Like, you are the translator, or at least make sure the translator is in place. Yeah, I I, I, I would say be very, if you not learn it through life experience like me, you know, and I even even with life experience, I still do a lot of reading. Obviously, we have an innovative book company, but, you know, really learn non nonverbal communication. Really be very mindful about like your Zoom meetings, your in-person meetings, 
Be very mindful about how you make people feel because that's the number one communication. It doesn't matter if they mop, if they're mopping the floor or they're doing your taxes or they're, you know, responsible for your marketing campaign. You know, people do better work for people who give them intrinsic value. Like we all have that person in, in, in our life that it don't matter what we're going through. We can call them and we're going to laugh because they don't even try to be funny. They just they're just goofy. They just they are who they are. They're just funny. And that gives you value. So as a CEO, you don't have to be the most charming person. You don't have to do stand up comedy. But do you like yourself enough where you can rub off on other people? And and if you don't like yourself enough where you can rub, you better have a lot of money to pay them. Because if you're starting off off bootstrap, you got to give them something. Either you're giving them intrinsic value or you're giving them monetarily value. But there has to be a value exchange. So people are just not going to stay around, you know. And, and it, is, it is tremendously hard to get people to buy into vision and trade their what is effectively sweat equity. Or, I mean, if you're bootstrapping and you have a, a team and you need those skills, uh, you go out there and try to pitch like a, a passionless work for equity and let me know how that goes because that ain't going to work. And uh, all the time. For every one of our clients, we have to reject people that come in the door and say, hey, will you work for equity? And that's not the way to do it. You know, like you got to sell that vision and people need to trade a piece of their life. You don't go to your vendors and say that you are trying to build a tribe. And I I think you're you're absolutely right on that. And so, you know, that's a little side tangent. But by the way, do not go to your vendors and tell them you'd like them to work for equity because you just sound like an idiot. Like, honestly, like, it's the worst thing you could do. So you came too yeah, late. Like, By that time, you're too late. You got to meet them when they first thought about it and then try to talk equity. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I tell you, like I, I was saying yesterday, if I had a dollar for every, you know, startup that wanted me to work for equity, I'd rather have the dollar than the equity that ended up being worth nothing. So, you know, like there's that that path if i think if you're there and you're trying to get your vendors to it's too late right you should have built your team and you should have thought about that um and raise it raising money is hard you know around how do you know where you've reached the point where you go like bootstrapping is no longer sufficient to achieve the vision and i need to pitch i think people think about that too frivolously and that in fact that it should be taken very carefully because it is extremely rare to actually raise money against an idea. Yeah, it's, you know, you got to have a few things. I mean, like your proof of concept should have already been already in existence by then. And now you're starting to think about traction and now and you've hit this wall where, you know, this idea has to become a business and you have to just figure out. You know, you have to figure out, do I have all the tools that are tangible and the intangibles, the soft skills and all of these different things that make a company a company to legitimately, you know, not just go in front of people and pitch, but actually get invited to certain networks and incubators and things of that nature. Some people are not even eligible to be a part of an incubator. And that should be a sign. And I mean, that's all common knowledge on the Internet. Figure out what they're looking for to even to be a part of their incubator, which is their pre-seed buildup. You know, um, not everybody has that backbone, that hustle, that vision, that that whatever you want to call it, uh, spiritual backing or whatever. 
it does take it does. I don't I'm not going to sit here and, and tell you that you need to be spiritual or anything like that. But you do need to be realistic and pragmatic about what are you doing for people? That's all business is. And it's so funny that we've developed from the Industrial Revolution, you know, to now, which is just outdated to say that business is not personal when it's all about people. People are persons. Right. And so you have to sell something to people. It's all about persons. And um, you have to like, yeah, you can have a cool idea for the sake of it being cool. But I mean, how many people are going to be affected by what you're giving? I don't care if you're selling toothpicks. We all need them. I don't care if you're selling toothbrushes or, or you're selling what I'm doing, augmented reality books or, or, or you know, or smartphones. It, it doesn't matter. All of these commodities, all of these tools and things, somebody sold it somewhere. Right. It's everything you look you look inside of your where you live and you're watching. You, you see about at least 200 businesses just in your home. Everything business is very personal. It's very personal because it's all around your persons. And if you have that mentality about what are the people I'm serving and what am I doing in terms of B2B? Because B2B, when you're serving, those are people that make that company. And they are making products probably directly to a consumer, but they're still people. So very important that you yeah yeah I'm, I'm glad you said that like i mean uh b2b sales is my entire existence and we spend an incredible amount of time trying to figure out how to almost de-business it like it's it's people to people connections and even in a business context people buy from people they like they respect that they want to be associated with and that is the number one thing in selling is I've got to find a way to connect with other people. And yeah, you talk about value, but I mean, it's, it's a personal connection. That's why networking is important. Who's the most important guy in the room is the guy who asks all the questions. So, you know, yeah, tremendously important. Uh, I love that. So give us some closing thoughts, you know, where are we going to see domestic in a few years Put, this isn't going to be a problem for you, but put your futurist hat on. I know. I, yeah, I, I live there. I got it. It's a problem coming back. Um, <laughs> well, right now, um, I want to say this, and I think that you got a, a legendary moment, but we're going to box with Neuralink. There you go. All yeah. right. I'm going to say I heard it first. <laughs> I'm going to explain why real quick. Just we are the alternative of, you know, humans might feel like it's necessary to put a chip in your in your head so you can have an interface and all that. We want to enhance the learning retention and the human quality through learning through the mediums of book organically without you having to do anything. And we feel like we're, we're, we're capable enough people in our company in 10 years to get you there where you're emerged in this emerged in this, this technology and this experience on whether as pitting a chip in your head. So Elon, I love you. Very, you inspired me, but I, I'm your nemesis, man. We're boxing with you <laughs> in 2035. So. I love it, man. Spoken like a poet, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for coming out to hang out, man. Great advice today. A different vibe than we usually have, and I, I love this. I hope you know all the founders are are paying attention. That's pretty dope, then. Thank you, man. Thank you. How do people get in touch with you if you, uh, you know, if they want to or they want to, you know, like learn about the company, learn about you? 
Yes, sir. Uh, P. Lamar. That's L E M A R at domestic.com. Domestic is a uh, T O M E S T I C. Um, and you can you can get me uh, on IG at um, a underscore brilliant underscore thought. A brilliant thought. Um, and you know LinkedIn poet poet de Medici. Uh, you can find me there as well. But yeah, and I and I'll, I'll respond. I, I love you know human to human contact and talking to people about ideas and what we're doing. That's real good to have you on today, man. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. You can see the show notes and more links from today's episode at leadersofb2b.com.